0: Welcome Hi. again to our Anxious in Austin podcast. We are two psychologists here in Austin, Texas, at the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a special show today.
1: Yeah, special. Our first ever guest.
0: Yes, we have the esteemed psychiatrist. Dr. Asad Kermani here with uh, us Hi
2: today. guys, how you doing? I oh, don't no, no need to clap. <laughs> you guys um, can ask
1: because I'm, I'm doing fine. <laughs> good, 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 good. Thanks, that? Thanks for asking.
2: Yeah, it's not actually going to be a session, but uh, happy to be here. Uh, I'm happy to take part in this. I think it's really great what you guys are doing here.
0: Yeah, Although You
2: don't really know what you signed up for. Yeah. No, I've mean, checked out the show a little, so I have a little sense <laughs> of what we're about to yeah. do. Um, Take some
1: calls today. Here's Fraser. It's show. Okay, yeah. Hey. Fraser episode. I didn't
2: even think about that <laughs> aspect of this, actually.
0: So, what, okay, you were going to come up with organic questions. Mm-hmm. I prepared some questions. What are, what are your. Why don't you start off with an organic question?
1: Like, I, I organically have nothing yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, okay, okay. Then, um, what made you want to get into psychiatry? Oh,
2: that's a good, that's a good place to start. Because, yeah. I mean, I find a lot of people sometimes still have a hard time distinguishing what it is that we do differently, totally. right? Like, what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? And I've run into many psychologists and psychiatrists in my both in my training and in my work, and and they run the gamut. Like, there's there's psychiatrists who love to do the talk therapy stuff, and you know, there's some psychiatrists who really will. Do handle the psychopharmacology of things, but for me, you know, before I got differentiating credentials and stuff, for me it was always uh, an interest in the mind, and I always really had the image of whatever the psychiatrist also doing talk therapy stuff. And now that's kind of obviously different now in this. Do you current. do much talk therapy? I do actually in my practice, uh, about half of my week is spent doing. Uh, talk therapy. Yeah. I, you know yeah.
1: what? I didn't... I always knew you were into it. I didn't realize... Yeah, I, I meant that's it. That's how much you <laughs> would have to, you know, <laughs> actually do that. That's yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, no. Uh, you know, I think uh, it, it, it's a function of this sort of changing landscape of, like, what mental health has been, sort of how it's been delivered, let's say. Um, I had... Uh, I attended a Grand Rounds once uh, when I was in training uh, in New York, and Lester Havens um, was a guy that came over from... Oh, Harvard and gave a talk about and talked about how psychiatry so he's one of these throwback like Woody Allen type psychiatrist right he was like in the first half of the 20th century psychiatry was brainless and in the second half of the century it was mindless right so Mm -hmm. we we fell in love with pharmaceuticals back around the around the 80s and the advent of Prozac and all we thought we had a lot of great answers and and um, I think that I think that sort of reflected in in a lot of the training in the then late eighties, nineties, even into you know this this century, um, but I think the pendulum is swinging back a little. You know, realizing mm-hmm. that you know these these medications, though they've helped scores of people, sure. um, there's, there's still a very important role for psychotherapy to play. And again, um, every psychiatrist that you meet will have some level of psych- psychotherapeutic training, um, but it kind of really depends on them whether they want to pursue you know continuing ed whether they actually do it um in their practice whether they're actually honing and gaining experience doing psychotherapy and so um so yeah so i became a psychiatrist because i just thought that's how you did you know the thing where you talk in a room with somebody and stuff. Uh, i also really liked school i had very few employable skills and so uh, i just stayed in school a long time and did the medical school thing then you do you know four years of residency after that you can further specialize in things like child and adolescent or geriatrics or forensics but i stayed general adult psychiatry and uh yeah try and find a real mix of the two
0: that was one of my questions wow. do you specialize do psychiatrists specialize and i
2: think you know but for, they
0: specialize more by like age then than they do by like disorder
2: no there's more like it's more like you you know you finish you finish medical school, and then you go do four years of just general psychiatry, right? And that's where you're working like in inpatient hospitals, and you're working in emergency rooms, and a lot of different settings, so it's not all outpatient, like in an office, talking to people. So you're learning a lot of different things. And a lot of that is, um, again, you're learning a lot about uh, uh, the, the biology of things. You're learning about these different methods. I even did a rotation, like in uh, electroconvulsive treatment and stuff. Sure. So you're getting a lot of exposure to different things. But then you can kind of decide and so i think gosh i don't want to off the top of my head the accredited fellowships are child and adolescent geriatric consult which means like you're consulting with other areas of medicine so you're working in a hospital say with like you know surgeons or internal medicine doctors on on like the psychiatric issues of any presenting Mm -hmm. patient a lot of psychiatric stuff will present you know initially as oh you know an altered mental status, which could be any number of medical conditions and stuff, and so sometimes they need a psychiatrist on the team to kind of parse through these things, um, and then and then forensics, you know, wherever wherever mental health intersects with the criminal justice system, uh, there are certain psychiatrists who specialize in that area, and they're they're the ones who will give like expert testimony in court or just uh, being involved with family court issues and stuff like that. Um, and I think, like, on the cusp, there was going to be, like, an emergency psychiatry. I don't know if it's actually been accredited yet or not. But so, so there's a little bit of uh, specialization that one can do. Um, but in the end, I think there are also um, psychiatrists who just sort of prefer to work with certain kinds of diagnoses. So they haven't gotten any sort of like, extra special training or anything. But, like, maybe they really have a, a deep interest in, say, bipolar disorder or something. Um uh, or working with, like, say, uh, substance abuse. Oh, that's the other fellowship. You can do a substance oh, yeah. abuse mm-hmm. fellowship. That's okay. a big area, too. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's kind of it. But for me, uh, you know, general adult is kind of what I stuck with. The, uh, the way in which my training just happened to be, you know, I trained at uh, Beth Israel Hospital in New York, and so there was just a lot of rapid substance abuse there. So, like, you know, de facto, you became a substance <laughs> abuse special right. specialist. <laughs> you know, and that stuff.
1: Unofficial specialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, I can't like put that on my you know, on my on my website, but uh, it, you know, people tend to uh, let's just say at times misuse substances. We don't have to worry about the calling this one diagnosis or another. I think it has to be a part of the conversation, anyways. Anytime we're looking at the brain.
0: So, do you have?
2: a favorite mm.
1: yeah, for, area for, for whatever for within the sure. process yeah no I mean, I, th- I, mean I,
2: I really I really like it all frankly I mean there are areas I'd say even in my at the point of my career which is you know it's not exactly early career but I'm not you know I'm like maybe 10 years out of training close to 10 years out of training um, there are still areas in which of course I feel less skilled than others I think one major one for me is um, is eating disorder stuff. I mean, I think that's very specialized training where you really have to work. It really takes, you know, sort of a, a cross-section of professionals right. to work with that that diagnosis and that patient population. And so, you know, I feel less skilled there. Um, I don't see a lot of those patients. Uh, I don't work with... I see 18 and up, so I don't really work with, um, you know, kids and teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly worked with some precocious teenagers in the past, you know, that I feel could do, work just uh, sort of one-on-one with me. Um... But yeah, no, you know, mood disorders, certainly anxiety disorders, I mean, that's that's our bread and butter, you know. Now that I'm primarily not patient um, uh, psychiatrist, meaning, you know, I don't really see people in the hospital. Or I used to work uh, for three years, actually, I ran an emergency room in, in, in New York, so I, I I did the schizophrenia and really, you know, uh, manic, bipolar exacerbations. I certainly work with those patients, but, you know, I don't see them in my private practice now, but... Um, Mood disorder, anxiety disorder—it's kind of what I do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: We're like anxiety disorder. Try to get more training in the mood disorder part. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm. Well, that you know, that, that in talking about uh, sort of how how I end up seeing patients and what they come to see me for, you know, whether it's okay, I'm you know I'm stressed out, you know, I'm stressed out in my life, and um, whether that's overlapping in a depression dominant way, you know, like. I can't get out of bed, uh, I can't shower, I have no appetite for anything, I can't remember the last time I had fun, I'm totally socially withdrawn, like that's, okay, so yeah, that's that's a depressive picture, but there's a lot of symptom overlap, you know, with mm-hmm. the with the anxiety stuff mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, avoidance and just feeling sure. maybe irritable, or feeling yeah. like, and, and that can lead you to feel kind of shut down. And, you know, to talk about the organicity of all this, to talk about the biology of the brain, you know, in the end... We're talking about the same part of the brain, you know, whether we're talking mood dysregulation or anxiety dysregulation. We're talking about the limbic system, right? Mm-hmm. So just to sort of do a quick and dirty neuroanatomy yeah, lesson. <laughs> this is exactly what I want to hear. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So where I like to start with my patients when they come in and, and they have a, a complaint like that about I'm feeling stressed out or whatever is, okay, let's really talk about what this hour-long evaluation is going to be about you know you're meeting with a with a medical doctor now so what does this mean we're not going to do any blood work today you know there are no x-rays that we can take like yeah okay people do cat scans and mris but it won't show us anything about your actual diagnosis you know it's not diagnostic um but we are talking about uh an organ in your body right and it's uh not your heart it's not your pancreas that's the problem here Uh, uh the issue resides in this three to four pound mass of jelly that sits in your skull we all have one and it runs on chemicals and electricity and and I think to really embody it like that to let someone know like okay there is like uh, you know there's this uh center that is this place in your body where this thing is happening Mm -hmm. whatever is kind of going wrong in your life these symptoms that really disrupt you it's happening for real in your body somewhere you know Mm -hmm. it's not like all yeah people say it's all in my head it's like well literally it is is in your head yeah Yeah. like it is happening there it's not invented it's it's this real thing and so if you think of you know the brain it kind of looks like a boxing glove right and so like right where your fingers would be like the thing that sits in your forehead is the frontal lobe right and we have to begin to distinguish these just really roughly these different parts of the brain so there's frontal lobe this thing that sits, you know, in your forehead. Um, it's really big compared to a chimpanzee's, but, you know, it's essentially the same structure. And then, like, the skin of the brain, like the first nine millimeters of thickness, kind of like, you know, the skin of your hand or whatever. This is called the cerebral cortex, right? So this is um, the two things, the frontal lobe and cerebral cortex, that distinguish our brains from our chimp cousins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you you know, take, say, your finger or a pen and stick it right into the middle of that boxing glove <laughs> right in the middle there you'll find the limbic region or the limbic system and let's so, so let's make a differentiation between the limbic system like deep in the middle of your brain some might call it the primate brain or what have you um, and then this outer covering right this outer shell and then like this big front part that's like the human part of the brain but that part in the middle think of it as your chimp brain mm-hmm. And that chimp brain is what we're talking about when we talk about anxiety dysregulation. That's where the limbic system is, and that's where you'll find housed things like the amygdala, right? So you might have heard that that part of the brain is certainly very important when we're talking about um, anxiety. And then when we're talking about um, the fear response, because that's really the seed of it, you know. So the amygdala is, is is sort of ground zero for us when we're talking about anxiety and the other important thing I tell patients sort of right off the bat is, look, anxiety, what, we call, what we're calling anxiety, is a normal thing that your brain does, right? Like, if the tiger walks into the room, it's your amygdala that's going to light up, and it's going to keep you safe, you know, like, because uh, it needs to send signals into your body uh, to make your heart beat faster, to make your lungs exchange oxygen faster so they can be used in your muscles, and all this stuff is really good in short bursts. But if you're living as if you live in a cage of tigers all the time, that's going to be a real problem. You know, the kicker about about having chronic anxiety, like when you're chronically living in a cage of tigers... Um, You know, there's these other processes that happen in your bodies, you've heard of like the stress hormone cortisol, right, so if you have chronic high levels of cortisol there's a number of deleterious effects on your body, Uh, chief among them being that it actually hurts that part of your brain that regulates anxiety, it hurts the amygdala, you know, not that it's damaging and think of it more like a bruise you know, like it's doing things to brain cells that makes them function poorly and sometimes even die off, but again this can be Reverse but you got to do something about that chronic level high level, level stress. Exactly, right. exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, but then when you're stuck in the middle of it, it's hard because the the very thing that you're trying to uh, excuse, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please I, uh, please take it.
1: It's, no. <laughs> it's actually my my alarm. It's, uh, it's time for me to wake up. Oh, wake, wake up. up. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: There's a tiger in your.
2: Okay. your- but yeah, yeah. That could be. You should respond to it. Okay. Actually, okay. Done. We're not in Done. danger.
1: I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Yeah.
2: Okay. Thanks. So the thing is, the 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 brain is is doing anxiety, you know, like for a reason. uh, Normally, so I never promise that we're going to get rid of anxiety. We're just going to better manage it. I, I sort of liken it to to blood pressure. You know, let's talk about anxiety like we would talk about blood pressure. You're supposed to have it. Your heart's supposed to pump blood around your body. Mm -hmm. Your brain's supposed to do anxiety to keep you safe, and it's also good a little bit for like you know performance. Like you know, you want your exactly, exactly. You you want your air traffic controller to be a little bit anxious when they're on the job, you know. Um, But too much of it at the wrong time when it's dysregulated, it'll interfere. And just like with blood pressure, if it's high all the time or inappropriately, you're gonna run into problems. So that's that's the place to start, I think, when one. Comes to either therapist to, to you know to primarily use psychotherapy and really examine whether it's you know something about um, automatic thoughts or, or whatever it is or past uh, trauma or whatever you know the, the the that part of the puzzle is. But if it's crossing over that line into you know should we talk about medicine, then absolutely we should talk the yeah. medicine. How
0: do you make that distinction? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah,
1: which is one of the questions I do want to know though. It's really nice hearing your. Yeah, kind of a lengthy description. Yeah, because of like how pretty much exactly yeah. that maps on to how that, we like, talk about. Mm.
0: It. I give a quicker and dirtier version yeah. of that for yeah. sure. But right. I was laughing, so like I, hey, not half hour ago <laughs> had that same conversation. Yeah, I like this
2: is <laughs> oh, same. you mean like with the with client. client? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah same,
1: same. I mean, it's, it's it's nice to know. It's nice mm-hmm. like, um, we're actually looking at it in the same way. Right, right, right. It's and not even... like because I, I feel like there's these. Uh, myths left over I think from the 80s or 90s of like oh well the problem is just chemical imbalance right and because people come and tell me like yeah well I think I've got a chemical imbalance what do I really do and it's like we have to get into a whole lot more of all actually this is this is our model for understanding it Mm -hmm. it's not just you're lacking in this thing and we need to give you more of this thing and like we've got to have an understanding of like what's actually going on using all the neuro stuff as well as the you know, all the, you know, the reinforcement
2: processes. Absolutely, I mean, I think uh, yeah, we're so far from just having uh, a medication intervention or, you know, something like that, that will that will just work across the board you know, sure. we just we just don't have numbers like that, you know, the research doesn't bear out, or doesn't bear that out but you had asked sort of how you, you know, yeah when do you make that distinction between, that the, yeah, yeah, yeah when do you make that call? I think
0: that's a question I get yeah. all the time yeah. from clients yeah should I use like should I go on medication sure, sure. and right like I have my own ideas of things mm-hmm. but
1: yeah Lo- love to hear because <laughs> we are trying to figure yes. it out all the time like okay is this mm, when do we, when we mm-hmm.
2: not well and I think the question itself actually uh, provokes a lot of anxiety too it's like okay so <laughs> am I going if I go talk to a professional about this stuff sure. am I just going to be put on you know pills and what do these pills do for the rest and, of my life right. and is
0: that going to alter my personality mm-hmm. exactly
2: and, exactly there's so much out there that you know a lot of misinformation, but at the same time, there's, you know, worrisome stuff that happens in the sort of... And those uh, are the ones that get posted. <laughs> right, those are the ones that get, you know... When like, I googled this, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs>
0: right. nobody Googles, like, do it
2: fine. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one blogs about mm-hmm. how awesome, mm-hmm. like, uh, this things is really have I <laughs> feel good. <laughs> it happens. It happens. You have to seek it out, though. I mean, the stuff that gets more hits or more clicks is uh, definitely you, the... Your right, anxiety is <laughs> probably not going to look
1: for that.
2: <laughs> that's true. That's true. You're gonna, and that's the, that's the function of anxiety, right? To look for the threat in your environment, <laughs>
1: Because, yeah,
2: exaggerated search Ex- work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. precisely. Um, for me, it's not uncommon actually to to tell people, look, um, why don't we take our time with this? You know, let's take our time and in, in sort of understanding the diagnostic picture, and we don't have to jump into the medicine thing. But let's uh, let's let's consider what it is that would make us think that a medication could be very very helpful here. Um, and I'll talk sort of more about, you know, anxiety disorders now since we're kind of focused on that. But a lot of this cross-applies for, for mood disorders as well. Mm-hmm. Now there's, I'm sure that the topic of the diagnostic manual has come up before in in your conversations. Or maybe not, not to so Yeah, doing. we don't have to focus too much on... So what I'm talking about yeah. there is the, the diagnostic and statistical manual, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of, uh, again, the epidemiological text of psychiatry where it's based on again large large numbers of people large studies of populations about cluster of symptoms that define syndromes right and there's a whole chapter right of anxiety disorder and under anxiety disorders fall all your different categories like panic disorder or generalized anxiety disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder and a slew of other things but for our purposes here let's just understand that okay everything that we're talking about there is uh is under the umbrella of anxiety disorder and so when you come in we're gonna when you come into a psychiatrist's office that that first interview is going to be a bit more clinical and what i mean by that is it's going to be a bit more symptoms focused there should always be again that level of rapport building and hopefully having mm-hmm. some. It doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Some human, some human.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Ideally, that would be Ideally. people's experience. Yeah. I've heard that that doesn't happen all Those the time for patients. Cut. Yeah, or and and, and, been, and so that, that yeah, obviously I have to acknowledge that part of it. Uh, you make
1: eye contact sometimes too. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> I don't
2: wear a white coat in the room. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna hold the stethoscope up to your brain. <laughs> and
2: you just tell me what you've been right. right. I don't have models of brains like all over <laughs> the other room make it look really, really. And so yeah, there it, it has to be. You have to have a humanistic approach to this stuff. But yeah, that diagnostic interview that you go into with a psychiatrist, we're going to be asking a lot of questions. Like, okay, do you have? you know, do you have panic attacks? You know, do you have uh, particular kinds of rituals that you do? You know, so we're trying to kind of get a sense of, like, what is the diagnostic picture here? It's important in terms of maybe making that call about, like, yes, okay, medicine is something we should try at this point or should we wait and see, you know? So, again, depending on that evaluation, um, choosing that right medication will be obviously important in making that decision. So the biggest thing for me, is always asking the question of, like, how is this impacting your life? You know, like, if you're losing jobs, you know, if you've lost relationships, like, if it's having this really massive social or occupational um, impact or causing real great dysfunction, that then my threshold is obviously much lower to be like, okay, let's try... Let's try medication intervention along with the stuff that has to happen in mm-hmm. therapy. You know, and and if there's some question, because I mean, again, this isn't a blood test, right? This is a clinical history that you take, and if there's some something on the borderline, you can take borderline of like, okay, is this what I call this massive dysfunction? Do I want to wait a little bit on trying medicine? Do I want to try therapy first for like a month or two and see how things are going? Um, again, that's that's a that's a conversation to have with with your team of providers. You know, whether you're seeing. A psychiatrist who does therapy as well, or you're seeing, and oftentimes what the case is that you're seeing the psychiatrist for, for med for the medication evaluation or management, and then you're, you're working with your therapist, and hopefully there's some good uh crosstalk between the therapist and hopefully. like hopefully I know we, we kind of laugh about that too. That's how, that's how the model is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always work like that, but it can, and I've seen that work well. I've i I've, I've worked well like that, uh, um, you know, working in tandem with with a, a psychotherapist if I'm not doing the therapy myself and so that can certainly be helpful but that call um, is something that is obviously situational but it's an important one to consider and if mm-hmm. medication is indicated you know there, there should, you know there should be no hesitation and and we can get more into sort of what the different classes are and the drawbacks and the hesitations and, mm-hmm. and stuff but um, sometimes I run into people and I'm like I wish I started doing medicine like six months ago mm-hmm. you know yeah. so yeah I think the key question is dysfunction. Like, what's oh, happening in your life? Sure. You so, so, how much
1: it's impairing? Yeah, functioning, right? to. degree of
2: impairment. Yeah, I'm yeah, I
1: mean,
2: what, what's how's it how's it gone? I and what 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 do you guys kind of struggle with in your own in your own work with people if they are kind of hedging about, or they're worried about medicine, or you're questioning it? What is some of that gray area that?
0: I think also like severity of symptoms. Sure.
2: Sure.
1: Um, I, I, I think being able to. Like, if, if the, the disordered stuff is getting in the way of doing the treatment uh. sure. for the disorder, like, that's, yeah. that's one way I think about it. I'm like, well, you've got to do this stuff, otherwise we can't get anywhere, Yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen.
0: Well, with CBT, right, there's, like, so much learning that has to happen, but yeah. if my anxiety is so yep. high, I'm not able to do any of Absolutely. this learning, like, that's, we're not really going to be able to do much work.
2: And, 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 that, and that makes absolute sense, even from the biology of the brain, you know, like, I can't expect... A person to you know sit in the middle of a cage of tigers and, and read Dostoevsky, <laughs> yeah. You know, so you're asking them to do higher ordered, very um, high level thinking, uh, cognitive skill stuff. Um, but if they yeah, if their limbic system is is dysregulated, mm-hmm. it's going to interfere with your with being uh, at your peak cognitive ability. You yeah. know, so oftentimes it is a matter of getting that <coughs> excuse me, getting that um, medication at least started, and if it can get an effect then it can really make therapy roll. You know, it could really make it kind of uh, stick, you know, and mm-hmm. and it can, can, can make it move, which is always nice to see.
0: Also, I think if I have a client who's really interested. Totally. Mm. You know, yeah. then I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah. sure. It's, so it's, it's not, like, not to say yeah. You should or shouldn't exactly.
2: do it if you're interested. And and the way I, I, talk I like to... I'm a psychiatrist. Uh-huh. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and again, oftentimes if I, if I know that maybe there's some question or maybe there's some hesitancy, look, you know, I like to approach it as you know we're not, you don't have to sign a dotted line today you know and uh, we, you can know, take some time to think about this this medication and and as with any medical decision that anyone will ever have to make whether it's should I start this medicine or should I have the surgery having a very uh, clear and thorough discussion about the risks and benefits you know is always the way you should approach that you know. Mm-hmm. What am I risking here? What's the downside here? What's the potential upside? What's the chance that I'm going to get that upside? You know, and then all the other factors in terms of, you know, how does this fit into me? Uh, how does it fit into my life? How does this fit? Uh, um, how I, uh, how I can afford this? I mean, obviously there are all sorts of barriers to access totally. out there to consider. Yeah.
0: How do you make the call between, like, benzodiazepines oh. and oh, SSRIs and all yeah.
2: Now we can get into the... Sorry. Can, can I'm it, thinking, like, what clients
0: would want to know yeah. Yeah. That, that they got to sit down with a psychiatrist. Sure, sure. I feel like that's often the question I get asked and in, in my non-medical training mm-hmm. <laughs> attempt to answer and... Yeah. That's, you
2: know, the, yeah. that's a big one. We can get into the nitty-gritty <laughs> of it now. So, yeah, so when we talk about meds, you know, we're talking about maybe three or four different classes of medications that can have an impact on, or that's like, you know, that has some data, some evidence to suggest um, efficacy to treat anxiety disorder, okay? So you mentioned benzodiazepines or SSRI. So let's just start with the gold standard of treatment, right? The SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Now, the important word there is serotonin, right? So this, this three-pound mass of jelly that runs on chemicals and electricity, one of these really important chemicals um, is serotonin. But you, probably, people have probably heard about that. There's also things like norepinephrine, dopamine, people have heard of, and a bunch of others, right? Stuff that we probably haven't even discovered yet, uh, perhaps. But the SSRI certainly has, and so this is, an example of this would be Prozac, right? Prozac is an SSRI, and it was the first one um, back in the 80s, and there's been plenty of, you know, descendants of Prozac since then. Um, some that, you know, get studied, you know, uh, particularly there are some that have shown a uh, real great effect for uh, specifically anxiety-dominant pictures. You know, I'm thinking of uh ones like sertraline or paroxetine. These are very good medications for generalized anxiety, um, panic disorders. yeah, for the. Out, you know, I don't yeah, know if animals. you have to pay like licensing fees to use these. Yeah. We're that we're not. small. <laughs> <Last of you. laughs> we to, yeah. This is not. We are not getting paid <laughs> by uh, Paxil or yep. Zoloft. We have no. Uh, at least I have no. Um, Wait, <laughs> yeah.
0: They don't care about us. They don't like care they
2: about us. They don't care about us. That we get no money from them, which actually ends up be rather important because there's also another <laughs> yeah. thing there. Um, yeah, Paxil, Zoloft. Um, Zoloft, you know, I, that's my go-to um, for someone coming in with an anxiety-dominant um, picture. Why is that? For, yeah. it, just has, it just has good data. It just has a really... Um, clinically speaking, um, what I've seen with my patients, they have a very good response with Zoloft. Um, and there's good data for Zoloft and Paxil. Hmm. Again, it's not, that, it's not that someone would be and I've certainly seen Pax, I know, Prozac help people. I've seen Lexapro or Selexa help people. Um, they, but yeah, uh, again, I think um, just for what I, for, for, for what I've seen, for, for my clinical experience with it, that, that's usually what I go with. There are other things to consider. You know, if you have a first degree relative, say your sister is on sure. you know, Selecta uh, and had a really great response for anxiety to that, I'll go with that. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's fine. And so. So so that's that one class of medication, right? The SSRI. Now let's talk about them a little bit longer before we move on to the rest. I never want to oversell these things to, to my patients. Like when you look at, you know, non pharmaceutical industry based research, uh, these things, you know, have an efficacy rate of around fifty five to sixty five percent. That's not a great number. I mean in a way, you can look at it one of two ways, right? It's a sort of a glass half full, half empty thing. It's nowhere near 100, meaning like you'll leave fully 35 to 45 percent of people untreated or undertreated on this medicine. Like they'll only have a partial response or no response at all. Um, but again, if we were talking about something like cancer, and you know we had a medication that could give you a 65 percent chance of going into remission, you'd be like, "Yeah, that's great. Let's do that." You know, yeah. Um, yeah. And so that number is important because starting a medicine, and it's not like taking an antibiotic, you know, where you take it for ten days, it kills a bacteria and you feel better, you know. Mm -hmm. Here what we're doing is you take it every day, take it every day for like four weeks, six weeks, it builds up in your uh, you know, the blood concentration goes up, it has to cross the blood brain barrier and start doing things in like brain tissue and brain cells. And the brain is very, very, very takes, complex. It takes, it takes some off. time. because another spelling
1: that comes up a lot as well. Yeah, yeah. Right, I I like I've been taking it for a week or two but
2: yeah, I, I, right. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll run into patients like, Yeah, I took it for like two weeks and did nothing and I stopped. I was like, Oh, well you gotta give it a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they get started just on a low dose of it, which is how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to start on a low dose and titrate it slowly. Um, but then, you know, whatever for whatever reason, they don't go back to the doctor or something comes up and they're like, yeah, I only ever took 50. Well, I wouldn't call that a treatment failure. We didn't, say, and I'm talking about, say, Zoloft in particular. You I know, mean, you start at 50. The usual effective dose there is 100 to 200. I mean, that's, okay. that, that's what I find. For my patient's average dose is probably 150 around, you know, roughly okay. speaking. And so, you know, we got to get to a, a treatment regimen that's an adequate dose for an adequate duration of time before we can really judge and say we've gotten a full response here, or we've only gotten a partial response, or we've had no response to Azolo, then we gotta move on to another one, you know. And and that's just inherently uh, painstaking sure. and painful for yeah. people because they're already suffering the minute does, they hit your door. Does that tend yeah. to happen? Like if if
1: you've you know someone's in whatever that forty percent or whatever that mm-hmm. doesn't
2: respond. That doesn't respond.
1: If you switch to a different one, do they
2: that can happen. Absolutely. Okay. That happens. Uh, I can't, you know, off the top of my head give you the percentages. But yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. The sort of the typical algorithm will be like start on an SSRI. If one doesn't work, try a second SSRI. Mm. If that if you fail a second SSRI of adequate dose and adequate duration, then we start getting into maybe the thinking, thinking about other classes of medications, maybe okay. the SNRIs, mm. And so that stands for serotonin norepinephrine that's a nice segue into the next <laughs> topic of the she SNRI yeah yeah uh, and so the brand name's there so that stands again for serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor the SNRI as opposed to the SSRI and the most common SNRI would be Effexor right Or the generic name is Venlafaxine. and there have been a couple of more there's, there's a couple of newer ones like uh, Cymbalta and Pristique oh, okay. that are out there um seem to a I've lot. heard yeah. those. <laughs> <Yeah>. The advertising <laughs> like the dollars go to the newer ones. Yeah. On one? yeah. <laughs> the newer yeah. The, um, yeah, yeah, right. And so, yeah, so again, um, I'm sure that some of your listeners may be on some of these medications, and and, and they have good data, too, you know. Uh, and Is it because, always because
0: the SSRIs have been around longer? That's the why Longer, there's right more,
2: there? ro- exactly, there's Got more it. robust data there. They've been around okay. longer you know, with effects here, the thing I don't like, I just don't like it. Um, Not that I just don't like this aspect of it. A lot of my patients have also said, you know, if you miss a dose or, but there can be like a really tough kind of, what's called a discontinuation effect where like, if you miss a dose, you'll just feel real crummy, like maybe a little Fevery or achy, ah. um, or sometimes people describe like body zaps, like that they feel if they miss a dose, and like huh. it kind of makes them feel like hooked on it. Yeah, but it's I'll not to be too. mistaken. Yeah, yeah, but you know, people shouldn't think that. Oh my God, I'm addicted to this thing. You you can still get off of it, and we'll we'll talk about addiction when we talk about benzodiazepines. But so with the effects here, though, it's just tough to miss a dose. Or if you go out of town for the weekend, you forget your medicine, like you're gonna be in for a rough weekend, mm, you know, where okay. you're like frantically calling your doctor on the weekend mm-hmm. to try and get like an emergency prescription so there's like um, just real world uh, ease of like SSRI sure. versus say something like that
0: like if you miss a dose of your SSRI you're not going to yeah
2: some of them absolutely some, like, your Prozac has a very long half-life it's not a big deal if you miss Got a it. day or whatever um, and then and, you know uh, other side effects maybe with effects so there's some some higher incidence of, uh, of blood pressure going up oh, okay. and stuff like that so nothing dangerous or, or, or anything like that but just just worrisome things that you'd have to keep an eye on which is why it doesn't get the you know, first-line yeah. gold star sort yeah, of sure, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, class of, of medication, but a good medication as well. Uh, we had mentioned benzodiazepines, right? So, Because, like, oftentimes people will maybe end up in an ER, right, yeah. like with a panic attack, or they think they're actually having a heart attack. Sure. and it, and we it hear can that feel all it. the time. Yeah and it feels like that you know your heart's racing you can't breathe some people even pass out mm-hmm. and then they get their cardiac workup you know it turns out there has been no cardiac tissue damage there's no evidence of of this and, and, and the ER doc was like you should probably talk to somebody this was a panic attack and, and then maybe they'll get like 10 pills of Xanax or something now so the benzodiazepine this is working on a completely different receptor system in the brain it has nothing to do with um, serotonin stuff right um, this is working in, uh, it's still working, you know, in your limbic system, but it's working with GABA and glutamate at the NMDA receptor, right? So we won't get into too much of all this stuff, but it's a different receptor system. And so it has a totally different mechanism of action. So what's interesting about this one um, is that it's very much implicated in, you know, anxiety modulation, and, um, and so how these medications work is to sort of like just dampen the anxiety response at that receptor. You know, if you block that receptor, that particular receptor, you will, you know, you will decrease your, that autonomic uh, tone, you know, having that anxious response. And so you'll feel pretty darn calm. That works really well when you're in the midst of a panic attack, right? Like on the scale of one to 10, if you're at a eight, nine or 10, you take a Xanax, you take a clonopin, and it'll, uh, you know, sort of. Uh, kill the panic attack and that's a really good thing oddly enough the other thing that works like that that blocks that receptor is alcohol <laughs> actually so like a uh. shot of Jack Daniels will do the same thing now that's mm. yeah now that's a little bit more liver toxic and stuff you know yeah. these medicines so you know you don't want to I'm not advocating people going out and using, but it's yeah. but it's, yeah. kind of it's, really but it's very yeah. similar. It's a very right? similar, it's similar brain mechanism, right? Similar. It's m- some
0: medication. of the concerns.
2: Hence, some of the concerns, exactly. Hence, also why if someone has you know a, a really serious drinking problem, you get you know when one checks themselves into detox, you're getting detoxed off of alcohol with a benzodiazepine taper, you know, so it gets replaced the alcohol gets replaced with the benzodiazepine, and that gets tapered off over three, four days, and then that's your detox, basically. You do it safely. So what's dangerous about it? So, like alcohol, benzodiazepines are addictive. And so what it means is that any substance that you develop a tolerance to, meaning, like, you need to take more of it to get the same effect, uh, and then there's also a dangerous withdrawal associated with that, meaning, like, if you uh, immediately take away that uh, substance, Things will happen in the body that uh, could lead to you know severe morbidity or mortality. And, um,
1: and also, I think people care about it, if it take you take it for a while and then stop, your anxiety shoots up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the other part. That's yeah. the other part of it. You have know, a good reason to be anxious too. And, and yes, physiologically, yeah. your anxiety is going up. So, so again, the the benzodiazepine is a good emergency medicine, but it's not a long term strategy because you know, you're if you use it every day, it's not going to be as effective, and you're going to need more of it. And then that's just a road you don't want to go down. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my work in an emergency in a psychiatric emergency room, I don't know, gosh, probably like twenty percent of each day was like dealing with people who have unfortunately gotten, uh, yeah, just too advanced in their use of uh, benzodiazepines they've been using it too long. Oh wow! As yeah, as, yeah and then and like you know, then eventually you know, like the doctors don't want to prescribe it anymore because they're like, oh, this is too much. This we got to do something else now. And then, you know, but they're like, this is the only thing that works. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the, the, the patient is put into a real bind there because yeah. now they can't get those whopping levels of benzodiazepine. And now they have to, like, get detoxed or something. But it, it's obviously very disruptive to people's lives. Yeah. So,
0: do psychiatrists, and I know the answer to this, but do <laughs> psychiatrists prescribe benzos well, long term for people?
2: Well, you know, case by case, you know, that's what I'll say. I certainly will use it as part of a larger treatment plan, right? Like, it can't be the plan, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, If there is serious um, panic disorder, then absolutely we should be using benzodiazepines until we get those panic attacks kind of under control. You know, like, if someone is coming to me, um, you know, with debilitating panic attacks, they can't go to the grocery store, they can't drive, all this sort of stuff, um, then absolutely I will start an SSRI that I know will give them a good shot at hopefully decreasing the frequency and amplitude of panic attacks but until i get you know until those four to six weeks you know and i get an answer on that like i don't want to leave this person suffering all that long time so i'll say look and i like to use um again i'm not being paid by any of these companies <laughs> but my yeah. favorite one is plonipin because it has the longer half life yeah. right yeah. it has it's the least exactly Slow acting has the least abuse potential, Xanax is the one with the most um, uh, addictive potential. I rarely, if ever, prescribe Xanax. Um clonopin, these are good these are good choices. Even even Valium, you know, I'll use every now and again. That's the classic one, right? Yeah. Um, I don't hear much anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't hear about it too much anymore, but I would still they
1: haven't been advertising again, so. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably off patent. No one's making any
2: money off of Valium. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, until that SSRI is effective for that person with panic disorder, um, then I'll do that. Now again, there's different diagnoses in psychiatry where we'll use benzodiazepines as an adjunctive thing. You know, talking about like maybe bipolar or the agitation of a psychotic disorder or something like that. But as far as you know, an anxiety is concerned, definitely for panic disorder, definitely for any high level of anxiety that again is 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 interfering with your life, you just want to have a more robust plan than just here's your, you know, bottle of 20 clonopins or 20 Xanax and good luck this month, you know. like, mm-hmm. And I'm and what I'm talking about here is, okay, a longer-term medication perhaps, and then, of course, that hard work of psychotherapy, right, to really start practicing um, managing or understanding what the triggers are or what uh, yeah, different you strategies. That, here. Yeah, right. I was
1: going to say, too, that for, you know, for us, the, yeah. the, the benzodiazepines are such a problem because on the behavioral yeah. Side of things, mm-hmm. it stops exposure from working, it stops people yeah, from actually you undoing, or pulling the, the disorder apart. It yeah. keeps it actually reinforces and yeah, uh, that it is dangerous. dangerous is and and I can't thing. survive, mm-hmm. I can't and I need with this. this. So the it is intolerable, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Such a great point, such a great point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. in fact, not even not only that it, 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 it won't work long term, but that it actually can delay your treatment, yeah, you know, because
1: you're not really
2: getting into it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You need that brain change to happen, you know, and and to do that work in psychotherapy, we use medicine again to dampen symptoms. But it's in your therapeutic effort that those top down processes, you know, from those fancy human parts of your brain that you're exercising in therapy, to build these new neural networks into, you know, into your limbic system. I'm talking again on a physical level. Um, that's what's going to lead to lasting change yeah. you know and, and hopefully to a point where you can successfully wean off medicine too and i've certainly had patients that i've successfully weaned off of medicine too just to stick on the benzodiazepine a little i mean i think i certainly don't want to you know scare your listeners like oh, wow, this is like dangerous oh, for yeah. me and so like like you know if you're using it you're using it under the you know under close supervision you know with your doctor and you have a plan to like you know address sort of the long-term usage then i think that's that's a, a totally legitimate way to use it, and that's how I use it with my patients. Another thing that sometimes happens that I see out there that I really try and get people off of is like, let's not use the benzodiazepine for sleep. You know, like I know you're. That's another person. Yeah, my yeah, steps. and that's a tough one. You know, because yeah, it works. It works. I've taken the next
0: before yeah. when I first was experiencing insomnia. I slept for twelve hours. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it'll, it works. It'll, <laughs> work. it'll knock you out, <laughs> and then I and, was
2: and, freaked out. And, and so will a fifth of Jack. You know, but <laughs> <I'm like>, yeah, <laughs> we could have done that. <laughs> yeah, you could have done that too, but that's not what we want for sleep. You know, it works, and it's hard once you've used that as your strategy or for a long time to kind of. Well, yeah.
0: You're not out. testing it out then. Like, right. there's the belief right. my body can't fall asleep on its own. I need to have this for me right. to you know, sleep, and I don't get to test out. Is yeah. that really you know, true? Right. You may have a few nights of. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. You'll go through. That you can yeah.
0: never sleep again.
2: Exactly. And I mean, yeah, we, uh, I think you have done a whole show on insomnia <laughs> yeah, yeah. before. We can right. talk about yeah, sleep meds and stuff. But uh, there's, there's again, a way you want to work closely around around sleep. And it's not just, okay, I'll just use Xanax to fall asleep. That's a recipe for disaster. I'd say <laughs>
1: Okay. Well, yeah.
2: So other classes? Yeah, other classes. I'm trying to think. Like, so, SSRIs, SNRIs. You know, sometimes we'll yeah. use this these benzodiazepines. So some people, you know, might be placed on low doses of what are called alternate things. They're called neuroleptics. They're called atypical antipsychotics. They're called second generation antipsychotics. So I'm talking about your, Serquel, your Abilify, your Zyprexa. Uh, what are the other popular ones? Um, maybe risperdal. Um, yeah. Uh, and so these medications, right? Certainly, they can be used adjunctively, meaning at, I mean, in a, in addition to, or uh, to sort of get some added benefit um, in as part of a medication regimen for anxiety. And they can actually they are okay to use for sleep because they're not addictive. You know. Now they sort of have a uh, to say a more active side effect profile, and yeah. you have to kind of watch for things a bit more. Uh, things like Seroquel can can certainly um, cause a little bit of weight gain, just make next day sedation, make making you feel a little bit slow cognitively. I mean, th- this is not what you want to live with for like a real long time. Mm-hmm. But if people tolerate it, I've certainly seen it. Certainly seen it work for people, and I'll mm-hmm. go there if I you know if I need to. Um, now, these medications, again, you know, uh, they have these indications for different kinds of uh, mental psychiatric diagnoses, things like schizophrenia, things like bipolar disorder. And so people might think, oh, my gosh, like, I don't want to take this, you know, heavy-duty medicine or these, you know, big sedating things. like. But we're really talking about a fraction of the dose, you know. Like, say with something like Seroquel, for someone with schizophrenia, I may, you know, go up to, say, Five, six, seven hundred milligrams. But in someone with an anxiety disorder, I may just use a twenty-five milligram tablet or a fifty milligram oh, tablet. Wow. So we're yeah, talking like a tenth. Yeah, yeah, a tenth of the dose, a really small dose, and so you don't run into some of the big major problems, you know, um, uh, with these medications. If you were, you know, if you again, if you had a really chronic debilitating, uh, more severe kind of diagnosis, uh, and so the med- the medicines uh, might sound a little worrisome because you know people might hear about them in different contexts but um they still have a role to play i mm-hmm. think you know if 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 you're running through some of the more again commonly used prescribed medications then it's certainly worth talking about these these um these strategies you know yeah oh, i was just
0: looking over my questions I think. yeah, yeah. had a yeah. lot of
2: them yeah nice good 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 i mean um any other groups? or? Well, I'm just trying to think. I mean, the are different strategies that we've used. I mean, yeah. there's no like big classes, but there's different medications that have been tried. So there's something people might have heard of, people might be on. There's, there's something called Neurontin or Gabapentin. Mm. They might be on something called Busperone or Buspar. What,
1: what is that one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the <Buspirone laughs> one. I've, I've definitely heard of that one.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has some it has some activity. I know they
1: push us being like, oh, it's non-addictive.
2: It is right. non-addictive, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. It is called the.
1: Put it in that context, like, oh, well, if you need it, you know, someone's anti-anxiety, but it's not addictive. They bring up abuse front.
2: They call it the uh, the non-benzo anxiolytic, right? So, yes. so, yeah, so but that's, that's, that's
1: exactly what I've been hearing. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just like that's just jargon for it's not a benzo, and it, <laughs> it will decrease your anxiety. You know, <laughs> the exact mechanism's not really well understood, but I've certainly seen again. There's data to support it, and oh. I've certainly seen it really help people. Mm-hmm. Um, with, uh, with anxiety but again we're having these what, mono- what kind and of, what, what, what is it like,
1: what kind <laughs> of right.
2: well again the exact mechanism is not yeah, okay. t- f- fully understood I mean yeah. it certainly has huh. um uh, magic. Some, it's magic. So, so it it's like, because kind of like, <laughs> like, oh, I like, you know
1: with the Neurontin Gapen, it was it's like the sort of anti-seizure. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, right? yeah, and yeah. Being it's, it's is is buse in the same category? No,
2: no, oh, different okay. category. It's kind of its own special thing. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Oh. Um, again, I don't if
0: that's like Lamictal add-on.
2: Yeah, you know, that's an interesting one, too the lamictal so this thing is a mood stabilizer right lamictal or the generic name is lamotrigine i'll certainly use that as a first-line thing for people with bipolar disorder and i might even use it uh as an adjunct for you know depression you know using that or lithium or something like that if i'm you know missing something about bipolarity and stuff um i've never used it sort of straight up for anxiety regulation or um uh so, yes, yeah, so I'm not too familiar with it for that. But mm. it's it's definitely oft-prescribed, let's, let's say that. Um, mm. trying to think of the other kind of, um, you know, one-off classes of medicine, you know, know. That, that, that people use. I'm probably... But, yeah, I mean, definitely for, you know, agitation or mood lability and stuff, people use things like Depakote, which is another yeah, mood stabilizer. Sure. Um, and so, you know, we can get into sort of, you know fancier things you know like um and by fancy i mean just uh, maybe a bit more uh you know there are not large trials you know not sure. large uh, large uh, databases that sort of will uh, back this up but like going back to that idea of what what are you risking what are you know what's the what's the potential upside versus uh-huh. what's the risk here and um and i think that's where you always kind of have to use uh use again you know you risk-benefit analysis you
0: know? okay this is a, a random question mm. one I thought of what do you feel are some of the biggest misconceptions about psychiatry
2: oh that's a good one yeah I mean well let's just talk well since we're talking about medication let's just stick with that because I think you touched on earlier like you know is this going to change my personality like there are these meds sure. going to be something that like I don't want to go see a shrink they're going to put me on these things or I'm going to be a zombie mm-hmm. or I'm going to be different and stuff and so I think the important thing to remember is like let's always bring it back to the brain right where these medicines, where these molecules are going in your brain, they're having their primary effect, again, in that more primitive part of your brain. You know, like the part of your brain, the frontal lobe the cerebral cortex, remember those human parts of your brain. I mean, those are, again, sort of exponentially more complex. You know, like there's a different part of of your brain, if you just think about the difference between what a chimpanzee is versus what a human being is and where things like your conscious consciousness arises from, or your personality, or your creativity, or your intelligence, um, you know, this this SSRI, this molecule that's going into your brain and blocking a certain kind of receptor in the chimp part of your brain, it doesn't it's science fiction to think that it's going to have like Massive effects on like personality or change you as a person or make you smart or make you dumb or whatever you know like all these kind of misconceptions. Uh, um, let's not always let's not put too much onus on what that medicine can do or is doing um, to you as a person, you know, because you're still responsible for you know who you are and 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 how you act in the world and and how your thoughts influence how you feel and and how you negotiate interpersonal space with people you know like that that's yeah that the medicine's not going to be doing that stuff for you um and and so i think that's a big misconception they're like okay this medicine is just going to have this massive effect it's going to change me as a person that any gains i make will just be because of the medicine you know mm, and so sure. so some people are like are afraid to get off of it sometimes I'm like well, totally yeah yeah like mean, well the medicine hasn't done all of it that's like saying mm-hmm. You know, if you broke a leg and you had to get a cast on it and, and then you wear the cast for a while and you take it off and you rehab and then you're going to run a marathon, that's like saying, well, you only won that marathon because of the cast. You know, it's like, well, there's a lot that happened in between, you know, your uh-huh. the initial parts of your treatment and all the other work that you did um, to, to make your brain a different brain, you know, and hopefully make it healthier than it's ever been before, you know. So I think I think that's a big one around around medication, and maybe that's maybe the biggest one about just psychiatrists <laughs> that they're just going to be, you know, sort of prescription happy. You know, they're going to be quit, and, and then look, that happens. I don't I don't doubt that any number of um, your listeners have had that experience where they sat in a room with somebody, didn't really listen, or they felt that they didn't really really want heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and they felt like they they just kinda of placed on a medicine without any kind of deeper exploration or even a plan for deeper exploration, you know. Um, and that's and that is that is troubling, like that is wrong. It should be this approach, this full spectrum approach of let's let's do the medication evaluation if it's indicated and if we're kind of in question about it, let's just ask the question and find out. But then let's have it be a part of a larger treatment plan, you know, that involves psychotherapy it involves any number of other you know psychosocial rehabilitative type things and look beyond that good sleep hygiene you know nutrition sure. exercise anything that's good for your body is going to be good for your brain because your brain is a part of your body yeah. <laughs> so eating right exercising good sleep future habits. Future shows. Yeah, yeah, future shows. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. We need yeah. to do some more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Research yeah we've,
1: we've been yeah. discussing this yeah.
2: for a while. Sure, sure. Have you guys done, like, a Got yoga meditation go. show yet? Or, or no. Okay, We're all right. the
0: exercise. We're thinking more of the nutrition. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, we've
1: been doing a little research. need to do some on, more. On, on the nutrition stuff.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And all these things, again, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. You know, they, they all can help out, um, and they all play a role, I'd say.
0: I think that's a good place to stop
2: Uh, that (laughs) was so
0: natural are you going to make us do a wrap up uh, what did you learn? Of
2: course. Yeah. What did, what did you yeah, learn, no, Doctor
1: Smith? <laughs> yeah, he always does <laughs> Yeah. Well,
0: see the takeaway right, message. I know it's the, the, the right thing the to idea,
1: do. The idea, you know, this it's based on kind of you know learning theory how how humans actually learn stuff. You're right, you're right. You know, we know it's useful to have. You yeah. know, I mean? your textbook you got your bullet points. What did you learn? It was this. What's the takeaway? <laughs> yeah. So you know, we don't know before we start what we're going to learn. That's true. So we can't do the bullet points at the beginning. Yeah. So we got to do what's the takeaway. We, we people are going to forget, and I want to actually direct it to use. Yes.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> we, um, what are the takeaways? It. Okay. How many she, takeaways do you want? She, she, she I makes it. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> a test and the somebody's <laughs> <study for> somebody's <laughs> listening to this. Let's yeah. say it's like an hour long. Yeah. Whole thing, they had it on the headphones while they were cleaning the house.
2: Yeah. And so they know? were listening
1: to it, but it wasn't. They weren't sitting there taking notes, like just learning everything. Yeah. Um. What would be, what would be the things you want people who are you know, listening to take rhythm
2: Okay. Here's my here's my big one. Yeah. Uh, anxiety is normal. It's something that the brain does, but if it's doing it in a dysregulated way, then it's worth talking to a therapist or, or a psychiatrist about what to do about it, right? Mm-hmm. So remember, anxiety is normal. We can't get rid of it, but it, if it's a problem in your life, we have to uh, uh, regulate it better. Okay, we're going to get rid of it. Um, medication can be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be afraid of it. There's a lot of misconceptions around it. Sure, ask but questions. It, ask questions. Ask questions. Uh, Advocate for yourself. Uh, Take your time with this with this decision. If you don't feel, if you don't get the right feeling, you don't get the right feeling from your primary care doc or a psychiatrist, whoever is writing a prescription for you. um, You know, take your time. Find uh, maybe find a second opinion. Uh, Talk about it with your therapist. But medication, when uh, when we're talking about, you know, we we talked a little bit about the SSRIs. um, These antidepressants can be used. Um, for anxiety too, because we're talking about the same part of the brain, uh, that they can be used. They can be used in a limited, time-limited way to, to to really make your therapy work better. You know, so meds plus therapy is the way to I go. I like it. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody wins. <That's> yeah, <laughs>
0: <right. laughs>
2: everybody wins. Right. Not losers. Uh, uh, um, I think. Cool. I'll leave yeah. it at that. And uh, yeah, also, clonopin is. is better than Xanax.
1: Okay. That, that, okay. That's an
2: important one. If,
1: if you have to go into that direction. If
2: you have to go, if you have to go that direction, if you find yourself right now just kind of relying too much on Xanax and you're worried about it, talk to your doctor about maybe switching to a long actor, longer acting benzodiazepine, or to talk about, um, you know, what else do I need to be doing here if it's just a matter of Xanax? Because that's um, that I that I uh, often encounter and have to uh, sort of change around or do something different with. So I think that's an important one.
1: A couple of last things. Mm-hmm. Since you came on, we mentioned your name real briefly oh, at yeah. By the way, we didn't mention our name at all. But, oh, But, uh, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. People probably have figured out.
2: We'll for fix it in otherwise. post. Oh, there's no post. <laughs> there's
1: there's, there's no, no, post. no You're acting like I <laughs> did a lot of <laughs> editing. <laughs> so, so, if people listened and they're like, hey,
2: yeah. Like this guy, that guy's great. That's my kind of psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> who, who allow, like you're, allowing, to, you're allowing me to plug of course. I'll oh, plug, okay. plug anything that you do, I <laughs> feel like plugging. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll plug the practice. How's that? Okay. Uh, so, I'm Asad Kirmani, K I R M A N I. But the practice is Mental Health and Wellness Austin, the website is mhwaustin.com visit the site, you know, if you like what you read I kind of talk more about my approach my philosophy and all that sort of stuff and um, again I'm always happy to, uh, even if I'm not the right person for somebody to you know, take the call and uh, help them uh, on their path to uh, getting help because that's, uh, that's the hardest first step is actually uh, reaching out sure. and, and calling somebody or calling your insurance or calling it, you know, whoever it is uh, and uh, yeah, always happy to help
0: Right. Do we need
2: to add anything? Uh, email
1: us if you have. Yeah, email us. We are still, never had an email we're still. We're still waiting for that. <laughs> we're still waiting for that first, first email <laughs> or that first question that we're somebody assuming. wants to. Yeah, we assume we know what you about. want to hear. So yeah, give us some. Um, yeah, so Tom, Thomas at anxietyaustin.com or Marianne at anxietyaustin.com. Sounds okay. good. so, thanks for listening thanks to for listening. Anxious in
2: Austin. Thank you.